Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show... Adam Spinella is over there. I finally got the direction right on the point, on the video for people watching on YouTube. It never happens. That's how we know this is going to be a good show. Spins is here. We're going to mock draft. We are going to do 30 picks, breaking down players. For people that have been listening to the show for a little bit of time now, you guys know that I have some sort of animal living in my roof. Uh this podcast cannot go past an hour and 20 minutes because of that. We need to actually take care of that. I have someone coming to take care of that. So this podcast will be like an hour 20 is the point here. And we're going to start talking about Bradley Beal. And then we're going to dive in and we're going to mock draft. And we're going to talk about all these guys and have a great time doing it. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm great, Sam. Uh, this is this is June. This is hectic time here. We're a week away from the draft. Uh, you know, Intel's flying all over the place. I got high school hoops on my radar every day, but it's so much fun. Like this is this is the best time of year. I feel like every morning is Christmas morning. Waking up and seeing the Woj and Shams notifications, and just searching through Twitter and seeing what the hell else is happening in the world. It's the best, especially like when you're in it which like you sort of are but like you don't do as much intel stuff as i do just because of the nature of my job in a lot of ways it's just different than what yours is and it's wild (laughs) it's definitely wild like i i get a lot of wild things that i don't report because i don't know if they're veracity (laughs) and i get very concerned uh about putting that out there yeah um yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, for people who want more information on draft prospects, as Lawrence Field mentions in the YouTube comments, Sam, I'm 50 pages into your draft guide. Thank you for your hard work. While I'm not comfortable with compliments as a human being in general, I appreciate that. And I put this up on screen for you guys to note The draft guide is available. Go to The Athletic. Go watch and read and do everything you can to support The Draft Guide. Go subscribe. There's a good deal right now uh, for gift subscriptions, I think, for like dads and grads. Uh, I'm sure that you guys can figure out a way to fake that if you want to. Uh, Like, please, go sign up. Go subscribe for The Athletic. Go read The Draft Guide. It is a labor of love. It's 180 pages. It's 130,000 words breaking down draft prospects i absolutely would appreciate it if you go and subscribe to the athletic for that uh entire thing it's the best sam you're the best shout out to you what an unbelievable job i appreciate that uh okay 
So because we're on limited time here, we're not going to belabor the intro anymore. We need to talk about Bradley Beal. So Sham Sharania and Josh Robbins, uh, often we just talk about Shams in these circumstances, but shout out Josh Robbins, like one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet in media, uh, reported earlier today that there essentially may be a bit more of an openness to work with Bradley Beal on a trade moving forward. And additionally, that, they're going to work with him to find the location, which honestly to me makes a lot of sense given that there is a very clear relationship there between Ted Leonsis and Bradley Beal that has always been evident in the fact that Bradley Beal has continually signed long-term contracts and extensions with the Wizards. And if they're going to move in a different direction, it does not surprise me that they would decide to take care of him in that way. When you saw this news, what was your reaction, Adam? I mean, it, for me, it was like tipping our hand about what potentially is coming for Washington without saying that this is the direction that they're necessarily 100% moving in. They're going to be a team to watch between now and draft night because this is just maybe a deal gets done beforehand. Maybe the deals start kicking off on draft night, or maybe this is all smoke and Bradley Beal says, you know what, maybe I want to run it back here, but I really appreciate that I've been kept in the loop on trying to make sure that if this plan comes into place, I'm at least in some control here. So it seems like all options are still somewhat on the table, but I, I do want to applaud any organization and a new management group at that for coming in and trying to always do right by the stars and the players that they have there. A really important thing in Beal's no trade clause, which correct me if I'm wrong, is that the only one currently in the league right now that uh, that's, going to be an, an obstacle to this. So including him in this process is going to allow the Wizards to get a clearer view of what their options are within the next week. Yeah. And we talked about the, the Beal situation when Tommy Shepard was let go from that front office as well. And to me, it just is too little too late. Like you listen to Brian Windhorst on uh, I think get up this morning and he referenced the fact that people will be surprised with how little Bradley Beal goes for uh, on the trade market. Just given the fact that he is on this enormous contract extension currently. And for what it's worth, I, I think that Wendy is right. Like there is such a concern league wide right now for going out to try to find or for signing players to like long-term extensions that may or may not be all NBA caliber players like there's a concern with Jalen Brown there is a concern with obviously Bradley Beal there's a concern with going out and acquiring Carl Towns on some level like all of these things do truly exist out there uh league-wide and they are very real concerns that teams have about making these choices so <sighs> when trying to like construct Beal trades especially given the fact that he has the no trade clause and not everybody is going to be able to bid on him. I truly think we're looking at something like, like, so the heat have been a rumored team here. I think it'd be like Tyler hero and like maybe two firsts yeah. or something like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be crazy aggressive. Like the thing that they need is they need the 76ers and the heat for instance to get into a bidding war against each other right to be able to like drive that price up and as long as beal says like he's good going to either of those right. destinations right. 
that would be fine. He might have like a preferred spot. And then that gets a little bit more complicated given the no trade clause. But uh, here's the other deal with Bradley Beal. Like has anybody played their financial situation better than Bradley Beal? No, absolutely not. Over the course of the last, you know, eight years, basically. I I genuinely don't think so. I think that he has done as well as any human being possibly could have on the market. I'm looking at Spotrack right now in terms of what his career earnings are going to be. Do you have any idea what Bradley Beal's career earnings are going to be by the time this extension ends? No idea. No. Throw a number out there, Adam. Okay. Uh, If I got to throw a number out there, let's go with... 200 million. He is going to make 428 million by the time his career ends. Jeez. Good for him, Sam. Wow. Like, seriously, shout out the guys at Priority, uh, like, for telling him, get your money now. We will negotiate this. Like, you have have a live owner on the hook right now who's willing to give you everything. Get your money. I don't know if they told him, like, uh, you know, we'll force out later or something like that. I would imagine they didn't necessarily because Bradley Beal has always been so confident and comfortable in Washington. But, I I mean, this is the reason that, like, league-wide priority is very well respected for contract (laughs) negotiation. Let's just say that. Uh, Mark Bartlestein and all of those guys over there have done a very, very good job with this. And I think uh, Bradley Beal is certainly a guy now that has the best of both worlds if he wants them. He's gotten paid and he can go to a contender potentially. That's enormous. Like that's a huge win. And here's the last thing that I'll say on Beal before we like get into like maybe the fake trade piece of this, like where you think the best destination makes sense. Bradley Beal's really good guys. Yeah, I think that people have kind of he's been so in the shadows for the last couple of years playing for this Washington team that maybe hasn't necessarily been in the consciousness all that much, right? They've been a little bit irrelevant over the last few years, unfortunately, just in that middle ground that nobody cares to talk about, right? Bradley Beal's still awesome. He's really good. Like, this year, he averaged 23 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, 36% from three, 84% from the line. Averaged 5.4 assists. Played even, like, a little bit more off-ball at times than what we've seen from him over the last couple of years. He's a perfect player to fit in as, like, a number two option in any number of situations league-wide. Like, you look at the Miami Heat, for instance, like, if the Heat decide to really go for this. Look at how they struggled in the NBA Finals. They struggled with, like, teams that put two on the ball and teams that can, like, really aggressively attack your ball handlers. You can't do that shit against Bradley Beal. You cannot do it. He will absolutely destroy you. Uh, He is such a creative ball handler, such a creative pull-up scorer. Uh, If you drop against him, he's going to knock down mid-range shots. I I think that he is uh, he is so underrated, I think, league-wide now. It's gone the other direction where 
I thought there was probably a point there when he was averaging 30 points per game where people thought he was like, uh, maybe he's like a top 10 player in the league. I didn't really think he was that, but now nobody talks about him and he's gone the other way and he's yeah. extremely underrated. I think. And, and I think with him just real quickly here, like he had to play that number one role in Washington the last couple of years so much it dealt with face guarding and teams really putting a lot of extra attention on him. He's going to be better for it when he goes and plays with another star, if that is indeed what ends up happening. Yeah. And look, end of the day, like is Bradley Beal getting paid 46, 50, 53 and $57 million, like a bit of an overpay over the next little while. Yes, uh, it is. It's fine. Like we can acknowledge that he is probably not going to live up to that much money. Although, there's a non-zero chance this contract looks okay in five years, let's or in, uh, in two years, let's say, yeah, when season, the yeah. TV money really kicks in. Yep. I don't think it's going to look great by then, but it might look a little bit more manageable by that point. Uh, Bradley Beal's really good, guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, gen- genuinely just a very good basketball player. And, uh, and that, that contract the, looks better when you don't have to give up tons of first rounders and, and really good players for it too. That if the TV deal correct. hits at the right time and all of a sudden it was one good player and a couple of first rounders, like that's a, that's, that's a win. A hundred percent. Right. Here is the last thing I will note on Beal. Beal has obviously missed time due to injuries. Like he misses ballpark 15 to, you know, 30 games a year. Right. Like he missed 30 this year. I don't know if he could have come back at the end of the year. Like who knows. Right. Um, sorry. I got a phone call needed to X that out. Okay. Um, yeah. Look, I think that you have to be concerned about the injury history, given that he's going to turn 30 this year. He turns 30 in like two weeks or so. But I think that there are teams out there like the 76ers and Heat that should be willing to take this risk. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Is there a spot that you like best for Bradley Beal? I think Miami. Uh, I'll be very honest in that. I think Miami would be fantastic. You know, I've thought about Portland and what he and Damian Lillard would be together in the backcourt. I still think Portland's probably another like front quarter two piece away from really being able to have those two guys defensively on the court at the same time. But man, that would be a fun flamethrower duo to be playing off of each other in the backcourt. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think Miami makes the most sense for him. Uh, He fills their needs. Exactly. You can also make a case that if the 76ers lose James Harden this off season, that they have like an even more desperate need for him in this circumstance. I think that he would make sense with or without James Harden. Like if they have Harden, Beal, and like anything, I mean, that's absurd to me. I think it'd be absolutely tremendous to watch. In terms of like deal structures, honestly, like Beal holds so many of the cards because of the no trade clause. Like truly, I think it's going to be hard for this to get to a level that is – commensurate with his value is maybe the way to put it. Yeah. Uh, like if it's like Tobias Harris, um, you know, something in like a couple of first round picks from Philly doesn't surprise me. Uh, if it's Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson and a couple of first round picks, like doesn't surprise me. 
from Miami. Like truly, like that's yeah. the circumstance that we're in. Uh, just with the fact that he has a no trade clause, it is a significant, significant issue for the Hito or for the Wizards to overcome as they build this thing out. And, and honestly, just directionally, it makes sense for the Wizards to move on. Uh, the other big thing here is the Kristaps Porzingis uh, player option, yeah. right? Going to be fascinated to see what he does. I have no idea. You can make a case both ways. Like he could opt out and try to lock in for more money. He could opt out to be able to control his destination, which I think is actually really key for him because if he opts in, you could be in a circumstance where the wizards move you and then you're like stuck moving around for a year. And then you have like a shitty pre free agency year that you really don't want to have. I don't know. Porzingis is like also a fascinating spot. And Kyle Kuzma is a restricted unrestricted free agent as well they can completely blow this thing up in a substantial way and if i was them i've been calling for this for two years now Uh, i think they missed the boat on what they would have gotten for bradley beal uh unfortunately but that doesn't mean that like that's a sunk cost at this point you kind of just have to move on yeah yeah totally agree We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. 
Next up, mock draft time. Adam, I am going to flip the Pittsburgh coaster. Shout out Pittsburgh. Shout out my brother who got me these for Christmas this year. Uh, Top side is heads, bottom side is tails. Heads or tails? Tails never fails, baby. Heads it is. All right. So I am going to (laughs) go... What do I want to do? I'm going to go first. Okay. No. Yeah, I'm going to go first. Okay. I think you went first last time. I think I gave you the Wembenyama part. Yeah. Sounds right. Um, okay. I will take Victor Wembenyama first overall in this 2023 NBA mock draft. Victor Wembenyama, I feel like... Vic is like almost getting the short end of the coverage stick here, right? Because everybody knows he's going first overall. Everybody knows that he is the best prospect in this class. It feels like we don't talk about him enough. What do you feel about the fit in San Antonio for Victor Wembanyama? I love the fit. This is a creative organization that knows how to build around and create a culture that allows top stars to thrive and have longevity there. The roster that they've already assembled with young talent has length, positional versatility, and a way to create this into a defensive juggernaut early in Victor Weminyama's career. And they have cap space moving forward to be able to add more offensive-minded pieces who fit around him. Like, this is the ideal landing spot for a guy like Victor Weminyama. I agree. Completely agree. I love the talented pieces next to him. I also love the flexibility that they have to be able to like try and contend now um, versus trying to contend, you know, a couple years down the road. Like if Vic proves or if they think that Vic is just a guy that is an all star from day one, they can this summer like go out and like try and sign a Fred Van Vleter and Austin Reeves, try to sign like somebody that really makes sense to like speed this thing along. Or they can just continue along with Kelton Johnson and Devin Vassell and Jeremy Sohan and build that core out in that way. Or frankly, like, can you imagine if Bradley Beal says, I'll go to San Antonio because I really want to play for pop. I I don't know that that would happen necessarily, but they have the ability to do that. Uh, They have the assets. So they just have a lot of different ways they could go about it. They could go and try and acquire a star. They could go and try and acquire uh role players they go to try and acquire like younger guys that make sense next to Vic I love the organizational position that the San Antonio Spurs uh, are in at this point so just a really really fun yeah. really fun fit and, and I love it okay uh number two you are up uh with the Charlotte Hornets with the number two overall pick in the game theory podcast mock draft the Charlotte Hornets select Scoot Henderson from the G League Ignite. I am a massive fan of Scoot. I think he checks so many intangible boxes and just can lead a team on court in ways that you really draft for at the, at the top here. So six foot two, six three, but strong body, huge hands, can finish through traffic and bodies, plays great in transition because he's got that turbo boost button that he can hit. But he is so dominant in the pick and roll, Sam. The ability to create shots for himself in the mid-range or at the rim. A tremendous passer. 
we've talked about it on this podcast before, the lack of spacing in that Ignite program really thwarted some of his assist numbers and clogged the lane. I think that a a really well-spaced and well-thought-out offense around him just allows Scoot Henderson to pop even more. Uh, So I, I am a massive fan of his. He's got a couple things to work on with getting shooting range out beyond the three-point line, particularly off the bounce so the teams don't continually go underneath high ball screens. But at the end of the day, he checks so many boxes, and we tend to overthink this sometimes. Guys who play in professional leagues as teenagers and are as productive as Scoot Henderson was, they very, very rarely, if ever, fail to be top guys in the NBA. And to be clear, this mock draft is what we would do. This is not uh, a projection of what the Hornets will do I don't think that it's a done deal that Charlotte is like not taking Scoot and I've been that way the whole time like look you talk to teams around the league like yeah uh, Brandon Miller is how do I be careful with my phrasing here I hate having to be careful when I'm tired right Uh, teams other teams around the league think it's more likely Brandon Miller will go than Scoot Uh, then again other teams around the league last year thought that it was more likely that Jabari Smith was going number one overall. So I don't think we know what Charlotte is thinking for a front office that frankly, like I'm not sure is very good. They do a good job of keeping things in house. And I I don't know what to think yet in terms of where they fall on draft night. Like truly, like I'm just being completely honest with you guys. Like I have, general I have like quite a few people around the league that I talk to if not more than quite a few and he comes up every single time every single time uh who what does Charlotte do at number two everybody's just kind of speculating at this point truly like everybody is speculating right now yeah so it's gonna be interesting uh okay The last thing I want to note on Scoot is Scoot and LaMelo fit. I don't understand why people keep saying that Scoot and LaMelo do not fit. They are both elite out in transition. Scoot can be more of a scorer and more of a power athlete. LaMelo can be more of like a finesse uh, shooter from the perimeter and driver to the rim. He can be more of a creator and uh passer and playmaker scoot can be a bit more of like a scorer who can get to the mid range and also get to the rim. Uh, I think that these guys complement one another. I don't think they are. I don't think they take anything off of the table from one another, uh, which is the, the crazier thing about like the best player available conversation that people seem to be having uh, or like the best fit versus best player available. I, I think Brandon Miller fits for sure. But Scoot Henderson is just as good of a fit at the end of the day. So. Yeah, I, th- I think my my worry with that tandem comes on the defensive end, Sam. I, 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 ser- I sincerely see the vision on offense, but uh, I think that you commit to having to have a lot of bigger wings and the way that you play around having LaMelo and Scoot as your one and two defensively. Yeah. Okay, I'm up at number three. At number three... I will say that I have Cam Whitmore ahead on my like personal board that 
is essentially, look, I'm doing a project where I do like team specific big boards where I rank how I would, you know, do things. If Scoot was off the board, I would probably try to trade this pick if I was Portland, like truly. Um, I do think Brandon Miller makes more sense for them than Cam Whitmore, to be honest. Given where their organization is right now, given where they are with Damian Lillard right now, I think Brandon Miller... I think the I think that the two of them are very close in terms of my grade. I have them like neck and neck. And I think that for a number of different teams, it would flip one way or another, right? Uh, if you are a team that has like spot up shooters and in the front court and like the ability to space the court from the center position, I would take Cam Whitmore in a heartbeat because I think that that dude's going to get downhill. He's going to drive. He's going to be physical. He's going to score. If I had more of a traditional center and questions in terms of like floor spacing around the court. I would have Brandon Miller ahead. They are neck and neck on my board. I have Cam Whitmore at three. I have Brandon Miller at four in the draft guide. They are so close that truly for each team in each team situation and what each team is good at developing, it is very close for me. And for me, I think Brandon Miller makes more sense for the Portland Trailblazers than Cam Whitmore currently does. Even though I also love Cam and think this is like a toss up for me. Yeah, I, I get that, Sam. So I'm going to ask you a small question here because you're much more of the NBA aficionado and kind of trade guy than I am here. Is there any, any merit to the idea of Portland taking the guy who they think has the most trade value around the league and no. not, not making a deal on draft night, but saving that for later. I don't think so. I think that you make your deal on draft night or you don't make the deal on draft night. Yeah. Um, the other thing I will note here. So like you will see people bring up the idea of drafting for fit over need. And I think that we often underrate the idea of fit within the best player available conversation. That is a piece of the best player available conversation. How does this player fit within your scheme with the players you have around them? That makes them potentially the best player available. So I think we often conflate these two things kind of in a way that is a bit frustrating to me. Uh, when discussing this, because I think that you can just say in a vacuum, take the best player available in a vacuum, whatever. If they're in different tiers, I generally agree with you. And I think that you should take the best player available, although I have a difficult pick at five coming up potentially. So we will see where that goes. But I think that it is important to note that if you're in the same tier, the way that a player fits on a roster does matter, especially if a lot of those players are signed longer term. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And I, I think that's where the way I kind of describe it is to steal a term from baseball. We always say tie goes to the runner. I think it's like tie goes to the better fit. Like if there are two guys that are very similar on your board in that same tier, 
tie goes to the guy who you think fits and ties the pieces you already have together the best. Yep. I think that is right. Okay. You're up at number four, Adam. I am. And Sam, you're welcome for this one Uh, with the fourth overall pick in the 2023 game theory podcast mock draft, the Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson from overtime elite. That that makes my life easier. Thank you. I appreciate you. You are welcome, Sam. I am a huge believer in Amen Thompson because of the raw tools I think that offensive value comes first and foremost from collapsing a defense, getting into the lane and just generating paint touches. The second most important thing to do from there is to make the right rim decision, whether you're going to score it and finish or find the open teammate around you. Amen Thompson is a walking paint touch six foot seven lead guard who has the fastest zero to 100 acceleration that I have probably ever scouted or evaluated. And when he gets to the lane, he finishes with real craft. He's got unbelievable touch balance, the ability to worm his way around defenders, hang in the air and adjust and finish through contact. And he's a sensational live dribble passer, right hand hook passes cross court really sees and feels the game super well in that regard. This is an OTE floor that was not well-spaced. He was playing with his twin brother, Asar, which meant another non-shooter out there. Like He is just a prime candidate to pop in the NBA. I am concerned about the jump shot. I do believe that it's going to take a lot of continued work to get him to be passable to play off-ball. But man, oh man, do I dream about the athletic backcourt duo of him and Jalen Green, And do I think this Houston Rockets team desperately needs a guy who can come in and just be more of a playmaker and table setter for Jalen, for Jabari Smith, play off of Alperin Shengun a little bit as a cutter? I really like the idea of a man Thompson in Houston. I have him number four on my board and him and Brandon Miller in a tier above guys like Whitmore and anybody else. So that's why this is the clear pick for me. I think that that is... Totally fair. And I think there is a very real case for taking a men Thompson over Cam Whitmore, over, you know, over Brandon Miller, I think in their case, given the fact that they do have a real need at point. Two things that I think would be really fun with a men Thompson in Houston. You could run some incredibly weird, wild, like, five one ball screen actions with like Alper and Shengun handling the ball and like Amon Thompson short rolling and like getting downhill and like taking advantage of Shengun's uh, passing ability and everything. Uh, you could run so many just like transition, like early offense sets where you have them take like double drags and, you know, really try and get the defense napping with his speed and athleticism. Certainly. It is, it, it is so 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 fun to imagine the creativity that Ime Yudoka could have yep. with a Men Thompson in Houston. I think. Having said that, like if they are going to go out and try and sign a James Harden, an Austin Reeves, a uh, Fred Van Vliet, w- whatever you're looking at at the point guard position, I think there's a case to draft Cam Whitmore yep. at the end of the day. If you you have like Cam Whitmore is an awesome fit in Houston, too, because you have Jabari Smith spacing the floor for him at the four spot. And then you have Jalen Green next to him at the two spot who projects long term as a really good shooter. So and, and like is a good shooter now. Yeah, he just yeah. takes a lot of tough ones. So 
I, I love the idea of both of these guys there. Again, I have Cam Whitmore at three. I think if I was Houston, I would take a Men Thompson. The more that I think about what I would do in their circumstance, I think I would take a Men because I think that you can just create so many interesting, fun, creative opportunities on offense for him. And the one thing that this Houston team lacks outside of Shangun is ball movement and like being able to like zip that ball around a men would allow them to do that. 100%. And the last thing I'll say here on the James Harden stuff with this, and it's something you and I have, have discussed before, like earlier this week, we went on the podcast after the Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship and talked about the value of organizational patience. And this is a, a Rockets team that has kind of committed to a youth movement the last few years and starting from scratch, a James Harden deal, handing him a big contract and letting that influence whether you would take a guy who maybe is a better fit with the pieces, the young pieces you already have in a men Thompson. That's the definition of impatience from an organization, something I would just prefer not to see. Agree. Okay. I'm up at number five and I am going to take Cam Whitmore Yeah, for the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons are an intriguing team at the very least because, you know, they have Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey already. And if a man Thompson falls to number five, which I think is like a somewhat real possibility, you could end up in a circumstance where they have to draft a third consecutive lead ball handler. And that puts them in a difficult spot. It puts them in a bit of a pickle. If Cam Whitmore falls, that's just an easy pick to me. Uh, you can have an incredibly fun, creative, up-tempo, fast-break style with Cam Whitmore at the three next to Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Uh, he would not take possessions from them. Having Cade around to just zip the ball around and move that thing really quickly, uh, especially if you believe in Jalen Duran's passing ability, which if I remember correctly, I think you do. I do. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like a little bit more skeptical on it just in terms of like the quick processing, but I, I think that like he has potential to grow into yeah. that long-term for sure. Um, I think that there is just a lot that you can do with Cam Whitmore in that setting. If you believe he can shoot and I think he can shoot like he's going to be a little bit hit or miss, I think early in his career, the long term, I buy Cam Whitmore as a shooter. So Cam Whitmore is my guy at number five for Detroit. Totally get it. I think that's a a great upside swing for the Pistons to be able to take. I still have my worries about his processing feel, but I think playing off of two primary guys like Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey just helps open up the floor for quick rips and, and, you know, baseline drives that Whitmore is really, really good at. Yep. Okay. You are up at number six. I feel like I'm the, the shocker of the day here. Sam. So with the sixth pick, the Orlando Magic are going to select Anthony Black from Arkansas. So for what it's worth, I, that would not like blow my mind on draft night. I'll sneakily love this fit. And I like I do mock drafts and things over on YouTube, and every time I talk about the Orlando Magic and Anthony Black, Magic fans seem to roll their eyes at it and not love that fit. 
I think that this is just a culture guy who really defends on the perimeter really well and is that ball movement connective piece that's going to tie together a lot of the really good young players that they already have. Whether it's Markel Fultz starting or coming off the bench, like I can see them having a lot of success with just three MFers on the defensive end in their backcourt with Fultz, Black, and Suggs with all of the lineup versatility that they're going to be able to construct for late game things. But long-term, this is Anthony Black playing the one, a six foot seven lead guard. You always gamble on guys who have positional size, elite basketball IQ and feel, and are really strong defenders. I know there's stuff he's got to work on with the shot here, but all of the other skills he brings to the table are so damn high. I am a huge fan of Anthony Black's. I think what we've seen at the tail end of this year is that a maybe non-shooting playmaking point guard can work with the young players that Orlando has already envisioned. I think Black's ceiling and his two-way impact is a lot higher long-term than that of Markel Fultz. I would not let Fultz stand in the way of letting me draft a guy that I think really ties together all the pieces we have long-term. So, yeah, I think he processes the game a little bit quicker than Fultz for sure. I think there is pretty substantial overlap. I, I think Fultz is, is like is. quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think Markel had a really good year last year. He similarly has like the shooting concern that everybody else seemingly at the lead guard position in this draft does. Yeah. And I just... The, the thing, the, the case for drafting Anthony Black at six with Orlando is that Markell only has one year left on his contract mm-hmm. and then can hit unrestricted free agency. If you draft Anthony Black here, I think you are truly praying that he becomes or Jalen Suggs becomes a great shooter. I do like the idea that Anthony Black can play off the ball a little bit because of how quick his decision making yeah. is. Like, he is not a – a Ben Thompson, I think, is well more of an on-ball player. Anthony Black is so rapid in terms of his processing ability to either drive or to make a quick rotation or to find different areas of the court to be able to be successful. I think that he's actually better translated toward playing off the ball than a Ben Thompson. Agreed. Because of, you know, for instance, like what we see with guys like Bruce Brown, Christian Brown – you know, Aaron Gordon, for instance, for the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs, right? These guys that think quickly and process the game quickly end up being able to translate at a really high level. But you need Jalen Suggs to shoot at that point. And I love Jalen Suggs, and I am still on board with him. I just also think that, you know, his ceiling is probably not what I thought it was. It is maybe a fair way to put it. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see where his career goes from here because he's already like, he's already like a borderline all defense guy, Jalen Suggs, like truly he is phenomenal. And, you know, as Scal's roar mentions in the comments, he was really good at the end of last season. I do tend to be someone who is less concerned about what happens at the end of a NBA season. Uh, We've seen too much of it. Uh, He is a very good prospect still. He just needs to stay healthy and get like a full run of it, I think. Yep. And we're going to see what happens there. But 
Anthony Black is somebody that he can play with as long as he can shoot. And I'm intrigued by that long term. Okay. I'm up at number seven. I am just going to take Jarris Walker and be happy here. Uh, this comes down to Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks for me. I don't know the way that the Pacers would actually go for what it's worth between those two. I think that there is a very real case for them taking Taylor Hendricks. I still haven't listened to the podcast you did with Caitlin Cooper. Where did she come down on Hendricks and Jarris Walker? So Caitlin, uh, shout out to Caitlin, who's the absolute best, has not wanted to take firm stances on any of, of these. Of course she did. Um, She's the best. She is the best. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I, I think a lot of the conversation that we got to was the value of uh, you know Jarris Walker offensively. They need somebody who you can't cross match necessarily in a way for um, teams to hide their four on miles Turner. The pick and popping him is something a lot of teams have kind of tried to cross match on a little bit. You got to try ways to to flesh that out. So that was a huge part of the conversation we had. It's interesting. Huh? I think that it's harder to cross match on Jarris right now. Okay than it is Taylor Hendricks. Because I think that you can, at the end of the day, just continue to put a center on Hendricks because I don't feel comfortable with him putting the ball on the deck right now. Yeah. But then again, like Jarris, I don't know how I feel about Jarris shooting. shooting. I don't know if either of these guys really stop you from doing that for what it's worth. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's I think yeah. that's fair. I think the the fit conversation with Caitlin was more around try to default for the, the tiebreaker might go to the guy who more routinely can have Miles Turner punish teams for playing their five on him. So with Walker, the reason I pick him is I just think that his defensive game is a little bit more polished. I think he's stronger. I think he's more physical than Taylor Hendricks is. And I think he processes the game a little bit quicker. Uh, His overall passing and playmaking ability and ability to put the ball on the deck is stronger. It's funny, though, like we bring up the physicality with Jairus Walker. That guy needs to just go to the rim. <laughs> like, please. He, do you know how many shots he averaged per game in the half court this year? Uh, at the total, basket. Oh, at the basket per game, it's probably like right around one or less than one. Yeah, it was two. It's two. Like, that's not enough for a guy like that. And look, I think you can point to like Houston spacing and like their attacking of the offensive glass, like all of that stuff is reasons why this would be the case. But yeah, like he's he just needs to be willing to go up and go for it at the basket as opposed to being willing to settle for that floater in the mid-range. Just do it. Just go. Okay. Yeah. You're you're up at number 8 as we yeah. kind of speed things along a little bit. Sure. We're doing so well though. We're doing well. Uh, number 8 here Washington Wizards. Thank you for giving me the even numbers because I know this was the one pick that no one wants to make because it's so hard to try to figure out what they're going to do. I'm going to assume a rebuild is somewhat, sorry, a revitalization is coming to Washington. And I'm going to go with a guy who I just kind of have best available on the board, Taylor Hendricks. Uh, He's been a guy we've talked about in this conversation here. Size, defensive versatility, and fluidity, like his shooting upside. I agree on the the idea that his, his feel isn't quite there, but... I think that UCF put the ball in his hands enough this year that I'd be interested in exploring that a little bit more on year one of a rebuild. 
Uh, I know that there are a lot of lead guards out there still at this point in time to, to try to take. And, and Washington, if we're talking about fit, desperately needs one of those lead guards. But if we're assuming they're moving on, I think that the the recipe for a rebuild or sorry, a revitalization is to just get as many long wing versatile defenders as you can find. I'd like to start that from day one with a guy like Hendricks. A question that Justin Metcalf has asked in the comments here. Do you think Taylor Hendricks can play the three? Not right now, but I think if he cleans up his handle a little bit more and adds some perimeter skill to his game more than he has right now, it's possible. My answer right now is I would not want him at the three. Um I think it's very likely that he is best at the four, but is so versatile in terms of what he can do at the four that it's fine. It's more that like he just isn't a great passer and like ball handler, and you really need as much ball handling out on the court as you can get now in today's NBA. I think he flashes better defensively as like a switch guy than anything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, okay. I am up at number nine. That is the Utah Jazz. Oh, this is easy for me. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Asar Thompson for the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think Asar Thompson makes a ton of sense for them. They should be taking some real substantial upside swings at this point. Uh, they have the athleticism. They ha- or they have like the rim protection and shooting with Lowry Markinen. I think Asar's transition athleticism would really play well for them. Uh in their scheme and with the roster talent they have around him. He's also the last guy I have in a tier at this point. Uh, this is a tier break for me, number nine, and we've gone through all of my eight guys ahead of him. Uh, I think he fits well. He's competitive. What I've been told about the Utah Jazz is they're looking for like competitors right now. Uh, that's the biggest thing that they want uh, on draft night is that they want guys that like really get after it and compete. So I think he fits that. I think he fits with what they have currently is their longer term pieces. And I think he can play like a little bit on the ball and be able to maybe not be a primary, but be like a high end secondary. So Thompson is the guy for me here. I know that you're not wildly high on this though. I'm not. Uh, I have some real concerns about how he creates his own shot, his finishing in the half court in a lot of different realms. And uh, I think he's a super smart defender, elite competitor like we're talking about here and and a really might be the best cutter that we have in this draft class. I've I've really been, been uh, impressed by how he knows how to move off ball in some regard, but I just wouldn't want to turn the keys over to him and and assume that he's going to be kind of the the one, so to speak, to to be a primary creator. Yeah. Okay. You're up at number 10. Number 10 with the Dallas Mavericks here. I I do assume that this is going to be a heavily shopped pick coming into the draft. I don't know if the Mavericks necessarily want to stay in this spot, but if they do, uh, I'm going to go Derek Lively out of Duke. The more I watch a lot of Lively tape and I'm trying to tighten things up here before the end of this pre-draft cycle, I've been incredibly impressed with all of the metrics that I come across that indicate just how rare it was what, Lively was able to do on the defensive end of the floor for the Blue Devils, particularly over the last eight weeks of the season. 7-1, 7-2 with like a 7-7, 7-8 wingspan. 
so mobile for that size too. He can play as a rim protector. Yeah. He can show and recover on ball screens in different regards. And he hasn't looked horrible switch wise. I think all of his offense is early in his career going to come predominantly at the rim. He needs gift wrapped passes for him to be able to catch and finish. There is some shooting upside. I know I've been a little bit higher on that long-term than you have. Uh, I don't think it's going to be ready to go right away, but it's certainly something that's investable in some regard. I I think the Mavs need more instant impact here, which is why, again, I don't see them necessarily keeping this pick in the way that the draft has fallen before here. But uh, I I think Lively is a a really good late end of the lottery guy to grab. So Luke Brom asks the question, chances Dallas makes this pick? I would say under 50. Um, I think it's much more likely that they move this pick than take a player here. And I've gotten a few different kind of things. Uh, I've gotten the the main overriding thing is depth. Like they would like depth uh, more than anything. So like, look, let's just be 100% transparent here. Uh, John Gavoni reported the Boyan and 31 for Tim Hardaway Jr. in 10 construction. Uh, I have, I, I got a similar rumor uh, recently to that. And what I would say about that is I don't think that would be the complete deal if it was to go through. I think that the way it was phrased to me is like it was like a construction kind of. It wasn't a this is happening in this exact form kind of thing if it was to go through, which makes it sound like to me that there'd be like a lot of, you know, like the the teams would have to come to a middle ground in some way. And when things like that happen, I'm just like a little bit skeptical that they actually come to fruition. Yeah. Uh, because it's hard, I think, for teams to find that middle ground in deals like this oftentimes. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it does happen. I, I think that it wouldn't be as simple as the, like Boyan in 31 for Tim Hardaway Jr. in 10. Because I think that Detroit like takes Dallas to the cleaners on that trade. Yeah, And I, I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever yeah. for Dallas. So... I just wanted to kind of note that Um, in general, I think there's a real idea for Dallas to trade down here. If I was them, I'd be like trying to get multiple. Like if Utah offered me 10 or offered me 16, 28 and something else, that's a deal I would do if I was Dallas. Cause I would want depth of young players for this roster more than anything. And I think Utah might have interest in that, just like consolidating assets and getting two top 10 picks in a draft that's considered to be pretty good. So, and, and I love the idea of Brooklyn with 21, 22 and Royce O'Neal. Like to me, that checks a lot of boxes for both sides. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that could make sense. Yeah. I don't mind that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. You're up at number 11. Uh, no, you're up at number 11. I'm the even I'm up guy at number here. 11. Yeah. Uh, that is right. Number 11 is Orlando. I'm glad we each get to make an Orlando pick here. So you picked Anthony Black. That means that I get to take a shooter in some regard. Man. 
It is a bit of a reach for me to do that. You know what? Fuck it. I'm taking Bilal Kulabali. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Think about this. He ticks every single Orlando Magic box. They need a wing long term. They need a guy. They like these guys that have great positional size, positional strength, positional length. They have skill level that can handle, that can dribble past shoot. He has potential to do that. He ticks a lot of boxes for the Orlando Magic, Adam. Wow. Wow. We are leaning into the long, lean, athletic switch, everything Toronto Raptors South building here in Orlando. All right. Give me a take. Give me a take. You're not as high on Koulibaly. I I am not. They need more floor spacing. I think Koulibaly is a couple years away from providing a lot of impact. I see the high ceiling in a lot of different regards defensively. I worry about how tentative he has played throughout the year to take jump shots or to, to really put his impact on the floor as a scorer. It's improving. It's getting better during the playoffs. And, and that's really tantalizing to buy into, but I do fear the last guy remaining that everybody has their eyes on who's starting to play well. And we just all gravitate towards jumping on that bandwagon late. This is a little rich for me. I don't hate that as a theory by any stretch. I think that you're not incorrect in that. I just also think that I'm betting on tools here versus Grady Dick. And like the upside of Bilal is just so much higher than Grady Dick. It just is, right? Yeah. Like we can at least admit that. Oh, the upside is is much, much, much higher. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. You're up at number 12. Oh, and this is a decision for me because I have thought a lot between Grady Dick and one of my loves, Kobe Bufkin, as being good fits for Oklahoma City. All right. With the 12th pick in the 2023 Game Theory podcast mock draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Kobe Bufkin. I'm doing Love it. it. I'm doing it. Love um, it. This makes a lot of sense, I think, for them. I think it does too, because of the the positional length that he has in the backcourt, having another floor spacer who can play next to all of the head down drivers that they have. Um, The trajectory is super high for Bufkin with where he's at right now. You know, 50, 40, 90 splits over the last six weeks of the season, averaging 17 a game during that span, 70% conversion rate at the rim. I think this is a thunder roster that absolutely loves to just have guys who continually put pressure on the rim and are credible threats to score. And Bufkin adds to that identity without sacrificing a ton of floor spacing. Pristine mechanics on his jump shot. By the way, really good defender. He blocks a ton of shots for a guard, and he is willing and able to pick up and extend his pressure. This Thunder team, and the way that they've been coached the last couple of years, has a lot of like unique elements that you don't always see in the NBA. They compete. They are willing to do things that not a lot of pros or NBA teams do in terms of extending their pressure, trying different defensive concepts. I think Bufkin fits that mold to a T. Uh, I like the fit here. I had Grady Dick maybe slightly higher on my personal board, and I do see the value in adding floor spacing for Oklahoma City, but I love the fit of, of Kobe Bufkin here. 
I do too, for what it's worth. I, I think that it makes a ton of sense for Oklahoma City to take Kobe Bufkin. They love these guys that have some length, have that uh, dribble pass shoot ability in the backcourt. Uh, he can defend a little bit. I think that it makes a lot of sense for them. I'm up number 13 with the Toronto Raptors. I'm going to go Kaysen Wallace here. Uh, I think that Kaysen would give them a very strong defensive backcourt presence uh, in a way that they tend to love. I think they like these guys that are tough in the backcourt, that are physical, that are strong. Uh, You look at Fred Van Vliet, you look at Gary Trent, you look at just their, uh, you know, Norman Powell's another guy that like has that big physical frame as well. It does seem like this is their type in the backcourt. They love these like stockier, stronger players like Kyle Lowry, right? Uh, Kaysen Wallace, I think, fits this billing. And I think he's just an awesome basketball player. He is a great defensive player. I think he has real offensive upside. I think that he can knock down shots uh, off the catch. I think that he has some pull-up ability in the mid-range that we didn't get to see a ton of at Kentucky this year. Yes. Yeah, I I think Kaysen is quite good, and I'm a big fan. Nice pick. Fits the Raptors. Definitely definitely buy that one. Just knows how to play at the end of the day. Uh, you're up at number 14. That's kind yeah. of an easy one. I don't know. Uh, I need to look, I, I mean, like they'll look at Jalen Hutchfino. I think they'll look at Kobe Bufkin. Look, I think if Balaku Labali fell, I think there'd be a conversation there. Like, I, I think they'll look across the board uh, at a number of different players and they'll take the best player they have on their board. Yep. But uh, number 14, I'm going to go Grady Dick. I just, I think this is yep. an, an unbelievable floor spacer to be able to add next to Zion Williamson. Uh, you know, six foot eight, which gives him some positional size, and and the the Pelicans are a team that can just do a lot of wonky things with how they define positions based on whatever lineups they throw out there. I think there's enough defensive firepower and length to be able to blanket Grady in a lot of important ways. Movement shooter specialist around Zion Williamson is just chef's kiss to me. So I, I would love to be able to see Grady Dick go to New Orleans. Well, and for instance, like we saw what this looks like when Zion Williamson had J.J. Redick next to him. Yes. They ran all sorts of like creative, fun, dribble handoff actions. They got really uh, interesting in terms of how they attacked. And I mean, God, like, can you imagine surrounding Zion with like a Grady Dick, Trey Murphy, uh, like duo at all times in terms of spacing? He would have all the opportunity in the world to drive uh, all over the place. And, and I've said long-term like small ball Zion five is something that I would love to see in closing lineups like him, Ingram, Murphy, Dick, and McCollum. Holy yeah. crap. I think that that lineup would give up 175 <laughs> points per hundred possessions. Right. But um, I, I get your theory and I don't, I wouldn't mind watching it. Right. Maybe that's a way to put it. Yeah, league pass uh, number one. Wouldn't mind watching it. Okay, I'm up now with the Atlanta Hawks at number 15. I think that their backcourt depth is actually quite weak once you get past Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Obviously, they have Bogdan Bogdanovich, but Bogdan is a guy that is going to miss you know 20 games a year, it feels like, at this point of the his career. I'm going to go Jalen hood Shafino for the Atlanta Hawks at number 15. Just an absolute baller in in so many ways, right? Like a guy that can really get to a shot in the mid-range. He can defend at a high level. He can pass. He needs to shoot off the catch. I think he'll get there at some point. But 
just as a player that I think can play both on and off the ball, can play in a wide variety of lineups next to DeJounte, next to Trey, even next to Bogdan off the bench. I think that it just makes a ton of sense for them. Yeah, and I have been clamoring for years for a little bit more Trey Young off-ball, having a really good facilitator who just makes the right decisions and has positional size is valuable to try to make that happen. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the other thing with Hood Shafino is he probably provides a little bit of cover in case they lose DeJounte Murray because DeJounte obviously can't really sign an extension. There's not really a way to do it because his contract is so low. He'd be signing an undermarket contract. Uh, if he tried to sign, if they tried to sign him to an extension this year. So at the end of the day, I would expect that, you know, they, they probably look at some backward options here. Sure. Okay. You're up at number 16. 16, the Utah Jazz. You took Sar Thompson earlier at number nine. Hey. You mentioned the need for competitiveness in Utah and something that they are really valuing right now. I want to stick with that and go with a guy who I actually have right now in the top 16 on my personal board. It may sound like a reach to many, but I will explain the fit. It's CD Sissoko from the G League Ignite program. This is a, the more I watched him, the more I thought that this is a pretty substantial reach. Yeah, I really like Sissoko. Uh, I love the competitiveness and fire that he brings defensively to guard multiple positions, predominantly two through four. I think he might have some switchability long-term to try to bookend lineups in that regard. I like betting on hyper-competitive MFers who have great positional size, real strength, and grew up playing the guard position. So that is all of the boxes that Sissoko checks, and those are the ones that I tend to fall in love with really easily. The shot is a little bit of a question mark right now, but he has grown over the last year, both in terms of smoothing out a couple of the mechanics. It's got a long way to go. And in knocking down, uh, or at least taking jumpers when he's dared to. So a 10 percentage point jump, as a three-point shooter over the last year, as an 18-year-old playing in a professional league. I'm kind of in on Sissoko. I get that there are some concerns in different ways of how he puts all of these things together, but this is, without a doubt, the most competitive dude left on the board. Yeah. Uh, Don't mind this. Um, Yeah, I do. I I mind this. I was trying (laughs) to find a way to come up with something. Uh, No, I I think that this is... I I ended up with CD in the second round. When I watched this tape the first time, I did him pretty early because the G League guys, I did early and then went back and rewatched. I was like, you know what? I can see the vision here. And like, I can see him as like a, you know, 22, 23, 24 overall guy. But when you start contextualizing him with like other players it got a little bit more challenging for me, I guess is what I would say. Um, I really worry about what it looks like if he can't shoot. Like, I think he's substantial. He doesn't really separate well enough to collapse defenders. And so if he can't shoot, it's, you don't really get the passing advantage, which worries me. I can, I can see that. I think my one counterpoint and why Utah makes a lot of sense is the front court floor spacing that they provide with a guy like Lowry Markinen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not bad. A good case at the very least. Okay. With the Lakers at 17, I'm going to take Jordan Hawkins. Uh, This is just like, take take the guy that can shoot, Uh, put him next to LeBron and thrive. I think that this would allow them 
to get creative in terms of a Malik Beasley deal. Uh, you could use that contract, which is an expiring deal, as well as the Mo Bamba contract to go out and try and get like a Fred Van Vliet and a sign and trade or something like that. You'd replace the Malik Beasley value that you thought you were acquiring when you did. Hawkins is the best movement shooter in this class. Uh, I think that's just like point blank accurate. You put shooters around LeBron and it tends to work. Uh, you tend to thrive in a pretty substantial way. I totally get it. Yeah. I, I think that's like kind of the easiest phrase. Like even if you look at, I mean, look at the way Malik Monk like revitalized his career there. Yep. Right. Like you look at the way that it, all these shooters really work with LeBron. I think Jordan Hawkins would just be outstanding there at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Okay. You are up at 18. Miami heat. And, um, you know, there are some like heat ish players that are still around right here that check a lot of those, those Miami type of boxes. I'm just kind of going to go with my butt, my gut here in a lot of different ways. I'm going to go Chris Murray out of Iowa. Um, so I, I don't think he's a heat player. For I don't think that's, that's the thing. I don't think he is a heat player, but my gut tells me that he's going to provide real value um, in terms of where you're drafting him right here. Just kind of the forgotten man in the middle part of the first round, two consecutive years where he's 40% on unguarded catch and shoot attempts. I think he can put the ball on the floor and make mistake free decisions not a really high-speed processor, but he doesn't turn the ball over very much. Guards versatile on the wing, has real positional length and size, but just a very solid, dependable kind of contributor. Yeah, don't mind that. I think they actually could use somebody that's like a little bit bigger, like Chris Murray, for sure. Uh, you know, bigger body that can knock down spot threes. I think he would. I think they would help him uh, reach his ceiling. I don't mind the pick. I just don't know that he like ticks the heat boxes right. necessarily right. that they look for. Um, okay. Next up. I am at number 19 for the golden state warriors. I just kind of can't let Leonard Miller fall any further. So he's the last guy remaining in my tier, like four that I have. And I actually like kind of adore this fit. I think this would be like incredible to get the most out of Leonard Miller personally guy that can like really screen and short roll, like guy that can like really make passes and plays from the middle of the court. Excellent finisher at the basket who would be able to take advantage of the immense gravity that Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole potentially uh, provide for him, especially in bench units uh, when they play like Poole and Thompson together with Curry out. I kind of love this idea. They also tend to draft very young for what it's worth. I don't know that they're going to draft young this year. I think that that's a bit uh, more on that in the mock tomorrow, maybe. Um, I think that it's, it's interesting to see what they decide to do. I guess I would say, I don't know that Leonard Miller is necessarily on their board, but I think that Leonard Miller makes a lot of sense for them as a player and as a prospect uh, that can tick a lot of boxes. Okay. I can see it. Yeah. Okay. You're up at 20. Yeah. 20. Um, you know, not necessarily the guy who I have the highest on my board right now, but in looking at what Houston needs, I think floor spacing is just a must after drafting a men Thompson a little bit earlier. I'm going to go jet Howard out of Michigan yeah. here. 
uh, again, just a, a six foot eight, like continue to add length and versatility on the defensive end in some regard. I, I think Howard is a poor defender and athlete in a lot of ways that's going to get exploited. And I worry about him and Shengun sharing the floor with each other for long stretches, but continuing to lean into giving a Thompson as much space to operate as possible is really important to me. For what it's worth, the more that I, I, I went back and did like a Jet Howard watch this week after I had to submit the order for the draft guide. And I think I'm too low on Jet, I would say. Okay. Uh, I have him at 25, and I think that if I was redoing it, I'd have him more like 20. Okay. And, and like have him like right in this range. Um, I think that he can really shoot. I think he has a creative handle and I think that he has like real potential to be like a 15 point per game guy, maybe 18 point per game guy. I don't love the passing as much as everybody else seems to. I think a lot of those passes are kind of preordained in that offense. And then obviously like just can't defend right now, like at all. Michigan was worse with him on the court this year. So it's statistically like it's, it's hard. It's very hard. Uh, to keep this thing moving, though, because we're running out of time here. 21. That is the first Brooklyn Nets pick. I am going to go Derek Whitehead here. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, look, much has been made of the fact that uh, Martin O'Malley did the surgery on Derek Whitehead. He's the orthopedist for the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are going to know uh, – more about his situation, I would imagine, than most teams. He's also just like the next guy I have on my board. Like, I think he is talented. I think that if you believe in what happened to A.J. Griffin being a bit of a precursor to what happened with Derek Whitehead in terms of him, like, kind of getting boxier and gaining a little bit of weight, you can probably drop that weight and he becomes a little bit more explosive and you can find ways around making uh, him an effective player. So I'm going to go Derek Whitehead here. That's, as Tony Reale would say, inside information. Really like that. Is it? I don't know. I feel like it's public that okay. Martin O'Malley did the surgery. I got to read more. <laughs> All right. Uh, you are up at 22 with the Brooklyn Nets again. Yeah, Brooklyn Nets back-to-back like Jordan 96-97. Uh, I'm just going to keep swinging for the fences here for Brooklyn if we're keeping these two picks and, and just try to get some offensive firepower long-term. I'll go Nick Smith out of Arkansas. So like we are yeah. leaning heavily here into the injured guys who had real lottery top 10 potential coming into the season and just didn't pan out this year. Uh, you know, 6'5 with long arms. I think that he's a train wreck right now on defense, but does have some competitiveness and length to be able to turn into something passable someday you got to buy the shooting touch and feel. I think with Nick Smith, it's a guy who's on-ball and off-ball creativity allows him to play next to other guys and stars. So uh, long-term, I, ju- I just kind of buy into the chameleon-like Smith being able to play a lot of different roles as a one or a two. Yeah, don't, don't mind it. I mean, they already have a guy in Cam Thomas that does this. I think Nick is – that's a good question. Like, is Nick as good of a scorer as Cam Thomas? I actually don't know the answer to he's that. A, he's a different kind of scorer. And like yeah, he, he's, he's, a, he's the kind of scorer that probably works better off the ball, actually. Yes, yes he is. Which makes him more playable than yep. Cam in a lot of ways. Okay, yeah, I don't mind that. Um, okay, up now, number 23, the Portland Trailblazers. This is a hard one. 
They just have so many different options they can go here. I'm going to go with... Look, I don't know where Bryce Sensabaugh is going to go on draft night. I would take Bryce here. I really like him. I think that his scoring ability is just absolutely tremendous. He obviously, it's been reported at this point, he had surgery uh, on his knee, I guess, to clean some stuff up and just got cleared for team workouts, right? I I don't know if he's going to go in the first round right now. Um, I'm not totally certain of that. But what I do know is that I think he is a remarkable scoring talent. Like, Average 15 points a game for as the number one option on an Ohio State team that did not have much in the way of spacing, did not have much, had an okay spacing situation, but like he was the number one guy as a freshman. He was incredibly efficient. He can really shoot off the catch. I don't think we're overthinking it with Bryce, but I do think that like his ability to score is genuinely like tremendous. I know he's really bad on defense, but I think he is outstanding. He's very bad on defense, and I actually worry about the self-creation out to three. I think he's a really good catch-and-shoot guy, but I don't think he's got really deep pull-up range right now. So I've got some concerns and areas I want to see him continue to get better at. Yep. Okay. Uh, You're up at number 24 with the Sacramento Kings. With the 24th pick in the Game Theory Podcast mock draft, the Sacramento Kings select Olivier Maxence Prosper from Marquette. This is a team that is starting to pry open their their window right now and needs more length and versatility on the defensive end of the floor. Omax is one of the most switchable wings that you'll find. Seven-foot wingspan, really smart, tenacious defender. Go back and watch so many different games from him in the Big East. He switches onto point guards. He guards big, strong wings like Cam Whitmore. He chases Jordan Hawkins off of screens all game. I think that versatility defensively, is something this Kings roster desperately needs. I do buy the jump shot in a lot of different ways, but I think more than anything, this year at Marquette, which ran a really fun offense around Tyler Kolek and also Igadaro, Omax knows how to space, when to cut, and how to be functional in a role where he doesn't get many touches. That's something important if you're going to come in and be a role player right away next to the two-man game of Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. Really like this fit. I dig this a lot. As long as you buy Omax's shooting, I think yep. this makes a ton of sense. Yep. Um, th- this is what I have projected in the mock that's coming tomorrow. Um, I-, oh, I think man. that's like a real possibility. Uh, 25, the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm going to go Jaime Jaquez here. Ooh. I cannot imagine a more Grizzlies player than Jaime Jaquez. He is grimy in the best way. He's a leader. He is just an awesome dude. Like, he is a guy that I want on my team. He is, to me, like, I ended up with him at 23 on my board. I think I'm going to be higher on him than anybody in the public sphere uh, on their personal board. Like, I don't care. He is somebody that I want on my basketball team. He is tough. He's aggressive. He defends. He is super smart. He has more shake to his game off the bounce than what I think he gets credit for. I think he's a better shooter than what he gets credit for. He had to take so many tough pull-ups this year, and I think that that ended up tanking the percentages a little bit. This dude's a worker. You talk to anybody in terms of the intel, he is a leader. Like He is somebody that, again, like you truly just buy into as a human being. I would be surprised if he got outside of the top 25. 
on draft night. The intel is like that good for him. It's not surprising when you know who he is. My my questions around Hawkes have always been around what position does he guard on the point of attack. I feel really good about him as a help defender and like a guy who knows what he's supposed to do. I just don't know what the optimal position is for him to guard. But like, hey, if you're Memphis and you've already drafted like eight different versions of the David Roddy player, like just throw another one in there and you'll probably keep making it work. I think he's more like a Dylan Brooks than a David Roddy for what it's worth. Okay. Yeah. Like he's a, a, to me, he's like a Dylan Brooks replacement more than a David Roddy. All right. Adore him. Uh, Absolutely adore Jaime Hawkes. Okay. You're up at 26. Yeah. 26, Indiana. Look, the Pacers have three picks here between 26 and 32. I, I, I can't imagine them actually keeping all three, but let's stop the slide right here and use this as the opportunity to just swing on a guy who could have real upside here. I'm going to go with Keontae George still on the board. Uh, You know, Indiana has a pretty good infrastructure already in place of some good ball movers and guys who make decent decisions with it, as well as having floor spacing to surround Keontae so he can come in and play the role that's best for him. He can play off ball next to some of those guys and then maybe have those moments where he's more of the scorer with the ball in his hands. So like, I think this is actually a good landing spot for Keontae. I think he's going to have a rough time cracking a Rick, Rick Carlisle rotation year one. But uh, again, with three picks here in the later part of the the first and early second, like I'll just go with it. Yeah. I'd be pretty, I mean, like, I don't don't know. I don't know if they're going to keep these picks. Like I think they have a couple of guys that they have their eye on. And then if not, they, will probably I, look I don't think they're keeping all of 32 29 and 26 put it that way there's just no way Rick Carlisle's going into next season with four rookies on this roster oh, God. Um, I think that he would have he would not be pleased with that let's go with that um, okay I'm up now at 27 which is the Charlotte Hornets oh man not the easiest pick here i'm gonna go colby jones just as like a secondary ball handler again like get as many ball handlers passers playmakers as you can get can knock down shots can be a sharp player i'm going colby jones all right i got you i got you all right we have to officially zoom through this adam because i am uh needed now so you are at uh, 28 28, Utah, I'll go Noah Clowney here. Uh, you know, just another lengthy potential front court floor spacer who can play the four or the five long term. I, I got some questions, but I think Utah gives him a developmental track to continue to, to grow into who he can be. Uh, uh, 28 I or 29, 29, I am going to go with uh, – we'll go with Andre Jackson here. I'm a big Andre Jackson fan. I love him. I have a 29 on my board. All right, and uh, that leaves me with the Clippers here at 30 to close out the first round. I've got to. I absolutely have got to go with my guy, Kobe Brown, out of Missouri. I think that he unlocks unlocks a lot of different things as a versatile role player, strong multi-positional defender, mismatch option for the Clippers. Okay, guys, I got to go. I'm sorry. Like I said, we were on a time crunch here. Thank you all for listening. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe to everything you can to support the show. We will be back tomorrow with more in all likelihood. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.